to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hi, Paul. How are you this week? I am doing pretty well this week. How about yourself? Yeah, good, mate. It's, um, obviously, we're a few weeks out from Ignite, so there's a fair bit of scrambling to make sure that everything that we've planned at the beginning of this half calendar year is going to ship for Ignite. So um, it's good. I think pretty much everything that was scheduled to land is going to land. So I'm excited to see how people take that at Ignite and... So now it's just like the the slow march there for the next three weeks. <laughs> slow march just <laughs> sounds counter to what you were just saying, but I get that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be interesting, Ignite. So I personally will not be at Ignite this year. Um, That's yeah, right. So uh, I, I'm sure I'll be glued to the, the screens to see how things come through as they, they broadcast. But if I read my email correctly, you will be there with the podcast, Yes. Yeah, so um, I saw it was Anna Shu actually was posting some stuff on Twitter and then some people started announcing they had shows at the event. And so we, um, I reached out to Anna and um, she's given us a slot. So we'll have a, a studio recording there. So I think last year we did an interview with Mark Stafford and Ian Arenas and um, we'll probably do the same thing this year actually, except Mark... Won't be there as well. Mark's actually going to be in our um, Kenyan um, developer center offices, spinning up a, a new team for the identity group. We've spun one up for a graph group, but now he's specifically going over there to do it for the identity team. They're going to be working on OData stuff over there, which is cool. Um, so he won't be there, but I'll definitely get Yina on him. Maybe we can find someone even more. <laughs> call that we haven't I had to be careful how I say this <laughs> even more call that we haven't had on the show before because um, there's some other people that will be presenting graph stuff that may surprise you and I will leave that Ooh, at that there you go for ignite so. so there's some yeah some internal Microsoft celebrities that um, everyone knows and loves that might be surprised he's talking about the graph now so I didn't watch the whole whole thing but the, the hardware event apparently Satya mentioned Microsoft graph at the in his opening and closing so can't get much more cooler yeah. than that <laughs> right um it, it is interesting like I it was 7 a.m for me here and um I tend to watch them all just because it's good as a hype thing drinking the Kool-Aid to see those kind of announcements and I was aware of some of the things they're announcing and obviously realized they'd be doing revs of the usual hardware um, as in the surface laptops and surface books and different things. I'd actually seen the duo. Um, they'd actually showed it to us in a, a, a town hall, we call them. Um, or maybe that was the all up all year, all hands and Panos came on and, you know, held it up and then we could all take a look at it. And I was like, I have just bought the Surface Go <laughs> and I honestly thought that that was going to be launched for this um, Christmas holiday season, but yeah, it's going to be 2020 holiday season, but the Neo, the little um, baby sister or baby brother of that um, was a, quite a shock for everyone. I think there was incredible how much they'd kept that a secret. And I think the biggest news on that one is not only is it in quotes, not a phone, um, but, uh, you know, they branded it as Surface and it's going to be running um, uh, Android on it. 
So there isn't much out publicly around that. So that's about as far as I'll go. But um, I will definitely be buying a, a Duo because I love my Go. And I like the form factor of the two screens and especially the demos they showed in office of like kind of on one side of the fold, seeing your list of your mails on the other side of the fold, seeing kind of the, um, the actual mail you selected. And, you know, there was a bunch of other th- like different scenarios they showed around the split screen stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with these, these two new devices. Yeah. So, so do you have Sacha and Panos on your speed dial so that when our listeners have ideas for how they can use these devices, they can just get them to you and you can route them where they need to go. Sure. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, mean, I can folks, go on teams yeah. right now yeah. and, and then see the, the, yeah. the, the never green yeah. and always ready meetings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, it's exciting. Like I, it's a bold move. I think, you know, similar to the bold move that the edge team made with Chromium as the underlying um, browser engine. But, um, you know, as such as said, like it, it, we're more focused on the services and, um, you know, being part of the ecosystem there and making sure we're everywhere we can be. Um, I've been using a Pixel 3 XL now again. I bought one last year and Android was just garbage on it. But the, the version was just too new for the device. And then so I put that on two months ago and then, you know, we're starting to really like Android and all our apps work great on it. And now they've announced that it kind of, you know, obviously we'll probably double down on the Android yeah. stuff for sure. So I think it's great. I'm I'm really excited about them. Yeah. You know, I switched from Android to iOS and the only thing I miss is the launcher. Everything else works as I'd expect. And you know, all the apps, yeah. uh, Outlook is the same for all teams is the same for all practical purposes. So yeah, it looks good. So anyways, um, yeah, stuff to look forward to for Christmas next year. Um, I'm going to be interested. <clears throat> I know like AirPods originally got a lot of grief around how silly they were and oh, everyone's going to lose them. But um, these new Surface earbuds um, certainly look a little bit bigger. So I'm not sure you're going to lose the earbuds, <laughs> but um, I'm interested to see what they, the quality of those sound like because uh, the price point is is significantly higher than the AirPods. So I'm assuming that means the quality of the audio is going to be a lot, lot better. So we shall see. I am notorious for buying new headphones so although i've re- reserved buying the surface headphones and daryl mirror daryl daryl miller has a pair and he's been in this week and um i was listening to them and the quality on those is like at least at on par with bose if not better in my opinion so there you go audio inputs see it's not just developer yeah. stuff here it's life lifestyle yeah, choices right. everything's great which is so, how you can spend your money in the next few months <laughs> tis the season put it on your christmas list yeah and so um in the news as well although ignite's coming around um you know we still there's some things that we just want to get out because customers are asking for it and partners are asking for it and uh so the other week, Shiva Prakash, who's in um, our team, um, launched a bunch of features in Exchange APIs on Microsoft Graph. Um, specifically, they were requests through user voice. So we're microsoftgraph.uservoice.com. There's been one on there for a little bit, actually. And it's to do with the fact that people are trying to move off of EWS, so Exchange Web Services, which is an API that's been around for a long time, um, and wanted to move over to Microsoft Graph. But you couldn't download the uh, attachments as a MIME format, which was there was a lot of different scenarios where that was needed. And so we just launched that capability on there um, 
in in the V1. So there's a few other things we've just launched in V1 too. And one of them was something I've been PMing, which is exciting because a lot of the stuff I do is more around the traps of developer experience and not necessarily directly on the service. But um, we have a capability that you can reply to a message if you have the message ID. And previously you could just reply with the body text and it would reply and post that into the email body text. But now you can actually override other other properties within the message object. We have a lot of CRM partners that want to add an internet message ID header to track things as it goes through the different systems to and throw between mail conversations. Um, and now you can do that with mail.send as well. You don't need mail read write as a permission. And so there's a bunch of us scenarios that unlocks and obviously it gives a much better, least privileged approach to calling the API. So that was exciting to get those two two things out. So, um, And it was also nice because we've been driving in our team, the user voice, and trying to get anything with 40 votes picked up by the appropriate engineering team and and shipped. And so it was nice for the exchange team, which we're, we're in the exchange org, um, to kind of set the bar there and push those things out. So now we're hoping for other engineering teams to follow that have also got things like pegged with 40 plus votes on user voice um, around the graph. So watch this space at Ignite because there's a bunch I know that will be shipped that were on the user voice as well, which is cool. Yes, that's, uh, I, I always used to joke that, you know, mail is sent using SMTP and the S stands for simple, but it's anything but. <laughs> and so this is just yet another scenario of the things that are happening inside mail that are pretty sophisticated. So I would imagine there's more of these types of things floating around on the internet that eventually can uh, end up in user voice. So that's good. And it's good to see user voice being acted upon, right? Everything, uh, we, we beat that drum, go to user voice, and it's nice to see things moving moving along. One uh, SharePointy thing that I found, there's a, a, a short little announcement from uh, Scott Stewart, and I'm not sure where, where Scott lives, but um, he has an updated page diagnostics tool for SharePoint Online. This is a Chromium extension, which means it works in, in Microsoft Edge Chromium, and it will help you um, see what's happening in your uh, SPFX or, or SharePoint Online web parts, including um, you know the number of requests that are going back and forth. It's kind of like developer tools, if you will, but it helps you to to see uh, if you're using iframes or if the page load is slow, and it gives you a little red, yellow, green. So it's a nice little tip to go on if you have folks complaining about slow SharePoint pages and you want to see what's happening under the covers. There's a nice little extension you can can plop on there and it'll help you do the uh, uh, page diagnostics. Um, it reminds me a lot of the old, uh, um, shoot, the old uh, SharePoint on-prem web parts had a, 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 you could you could do a special um, query string parameter and it would dump in all the calls that were happening in the back. So it kind of reminds me of all that. So it's yeah, nice to right. see. It was if, like if in the ASP.NET call stack at the bottom of the page, right? Yeah, yeah. It had all the SQL round trips and so on. So it, sometimes you just need to get into the details and this is one way to help us get that even though we're on the other side of the browser from the service. So um, And it includes the uh, exporting to a HTTP archive. So lots of, lots of good stuff on there. So I post link to this uh, tech community announcement. It's cool. Yeah. And then another thing that we've been working on and I've been a part of that's been driven from the marketing uh, group in M365 um, underneath Mike Amelan is the, um, the Microsoft Learn learning modules. And I think we brought these up last week for the graph. 
But um, as you pointed out in the notes for this week, the there are others already popping up there for Office add-ins and uh, Microsoft Teams creating embedded web experience with tabs and understanding Office add-in fundamentals. And so the, these things are like step-by-step tutorials you can follow. Um, the Teams one has an estimated completion of one hour and 23 minutes, which, and the others are only seven and 12 minutes. So I, I'm intrigued by that. Um, well, I can speak to that one yeah. specifically, right? So the back when you were in that team, we had the Office Dev Training Content Repository. That's right. And yeah, so the Teams modules from that are being migrated over to this Microsoft Learn platform. Uh, okay. And so those, you know, the initial goal was here, here's a hands-on labs and slide decks and you go present this or do whatever you need to do, right? So that's why it's an hour, 27 minutes, because if you go through and do the hands-on labs step-by-step, you end up, you know, with about an hour or, or do like the presentation, so to speak. So that's why that one's there. And and there is work underway uh, to to move all the team's modules over. I, I can't speak to the other technologies, but my hunch is that... Uh, uh, there, there's a, a big, a bigger thing afoot with trying to get the MS Learn more around the Microsoft 365 developer space. So yeah, and you get your watch this space, right? Experience points. This the Teams one is 1,100 experience points, and that goes on your MS Learn profile. And you know, I get, often get asked, you know, how to become an MVP, and having these experience points is one example of sharing your knowledge and kind of gets you that much closer to it. And Obviously, there's plenty of other ways that you need to engage to kind of get acknowledged in the MVP program, but this is certainly a way. And I think consultants can benefit from this too if they've got those, you know, I've completed all these different courses and it shows your experience there too. It is interesting that the exercise is 29 minutes long to implement authentication in a custom tab. God, the auth authentication story, man. I, one day we'll have that down to, it's just a click of a button and authentication <laughs> is done, right? It- <clears throat> well, some people find it easy. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing this a long time, Paul. Uh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and speaking of identity, <laughs> for those who are paying attention, um, if you load uh, MSAL in JavaScript, uh, Microsoft, the identity platform team has got new CDN URLs, including what they call the sub-resource integrity hash. So basically, it, uh, it, it, you can now... The sub the, the integrity hash is, is basically a hash of the file that you put in the script tag. So in your HTML, if you could do a script to download this the the you put a script tag to load from a CDN, you can do the hash and the browsers will verify that the file that it downloads hashes to that same value. So it's a little protection from man in the middle attacks or someone trying to um, you know, hijack your your MCL library code or calls to it. So this is a good practice. If you are if you are calling MCL from a CDN, you should certainly use these new uh, URLs. And this is rolling out. Um, I can't remember when they said it was. It's listed in here. I think well, you have some time. Uh, it, the, the the old ones will still work for quite a while, but you can put the new ones in there and. Um, not have to uh, to host this yourself and get all the benefits of that. Yeah, and I noticed yesterday, we're recording this on Friday, the 11th of October, but yesterday the MSL team also announced that they've made generally available the iOS and Mac OS and Android MSL libraries generally available. So they were in 
Um, I think it was like 0.2s for a little bit. Um, and now they've kind of been stamped with 1.0. So that's a, a big achievement. The at build, they uh, made generally available the .NET and JavaScript MSR libraries. So obviously this is just like another step in that direction to have that all complete, which is great. Um, and so I think the only ones left now in preview for MSAL, um are the, there was a diagram that they put out there, um, <clears throat> is the... I guess the Angular, Java, and Python one. So <clears throat> they're they're pretty much there in terms of the story of um, MSAL replacing ADL and obviously all the benefits you get of MSAL. Um, and there's there is a, a huge benefit in terms of single sign-on that you get if there's other apps on devices that are using the MSAL libraries already. And so um, it's it's highly encouraged to jump over and start using MSAL versus ADL. Um, and, you know, there's work going on in all of the internal teams to switch over to MSL too. So um, if you haven't checked out MSL, I'd highly recommend doing it. All of the graph tutorials and quick starts and our samples all use MSL rather than ADAL or any other alternative. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that stuff out. And that part, that, that's part of what makes auth easy, right? Once As these internal teams switch over to using the MSL, if you write code that uses MSL, when your user tries to log into your app, guess what? There's a common cache, there's a common call, there's a lot of, of similar stuff here so that sign-on can be seamless for the user, right? Behind the scenes, it's doing a lot of work, but we make our lives, our users' lives easier, and then they love us, and we, you know, what's not to what's not to like about that scenario, Yeah, and right? like even things like I use Edge on my Androids to browse, and just having that fact that when I go there and I hit any of our Microsoft internal websites, because I've signed into Edge and I've signed into like MSW, which is our intranet, if I go to any other system that I can get to, it automatically knows it me and just jumps in, even though it's like on a completely different domain. So there's a lot of smart stuff that goes on with the authentication libraries that makes the user's experience a lot, lot easier. So just bear that in mind. Like, you know, the last thing you want to do when you have a bunch of systems that you're running internally for a customer is have them have to sign in for every single one they're going through. So, um, yeah, that's really cool. They've now done that with Android, yeah. iOS, and Mac OS. Uh, and all the benefits of multi-factor mm -hmm. and passwordless and conditional access, all yeah, good yeah. stuff. No, it's just really neat. And then um, talking about SDKs, uh, obviously, I think we had Nicola on last podcast, and we did have a bit of a gap for personal reasons here. Um, but the last episode uh, with Nicola talked about the Graph Toolkit, and it was really good to see um, Sergey Sagiv is the best pronunciation you're going to get from me, Sergey. Sorry, it might be close. <laughs> it may not be close. Um, he actually wrote a really good blog post, and I'd always had the hunch that it would be very popular for this scenario. But he wrote a blog post. Um, he has a blog called spblog.net. He's an MVP. Um, he works at MassTech, and he was talking about um, kind of creating a toolkit that works directly inside of a SharePoint web part. And, you know, the SharePoint community is obviously a passionate community that is other teams really strive to try and replicate and grow. Um, and so uh, we're very excited to see that SharePoint community have like kind of grabbed this toolkit. And in this example, he was showing about kind of like um, using the task web component and embedding that directly into a SharePoint web part with and then styling it. So it looked, um, you know, in a custom way for him. On, on the SharePoint page. So it was really exciting to see like step-by-step -step instructions there of walking someone through that that is familiar with SPFX but not familiar with the toolkit. And so thank you, Sergey, for doing doing that. 
Um, but we actually found another article from a few weeks before that that he'd written. What was he writing about there, Paul? Yeah, he's uh, he titles it overclocking SPF SPFX <laughs> overclocking, which from the old school guys like me, you know, that's what we used to do in hardware. But I, I was actually working on um, uh, reorganizing some of uh, the components that we built, and I found that you know me being an old school Visual Studio guy, I'm doing Control Shift B to see if my code compiles, and I was getting some funky results in Visual Studio Code that I didn't understand. I shouldn't say they're funky; they were unfamiliar to me. <laughs> and so as I started digging around, trying to figure out what's going on, and, and pinging some folks I know, I came across this article, and and he has a step by step of of reaching into the Webpack or the Gulp build process and things that you can do based on the scenario. So he took the example of the SharePoint starter kit, which has got 60 plus web parts and it takes a minute to build. And if you're only using one of them, why build the other, you know, 19 of them? And so he's got a step-by-step going into the, the Gulp serve and the various Webpack options and, um, and, and shows you how to optimize your, your build so that that edit compile debug cycle is much faster. That iteration can happen much quicker. I mean, obviously, if you want to get your cup of coffee, you know, you can still go <laughs> the, the long compile if you want. But, but uh, it's, it's great. Stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of the SPFX tool chain is a black box, and and so this is yet another uh, approach to come and say, here's what it's doing, and here's why it's doing it, and things that you can make the decision. Do I need that? Right? If I'm just doing, if I'm just doing. Um, you know, trying to, to hack and get a proof of concept working. Do I need to do TS lint every single time? You know, so maybe I can shave off yeah, 10 seconds like or something like, like that. So great For great the SP starter kit, um, without the optimizations, was taking 60 seconds. And with the optimizations in that blog post, he gets it down to 24 seconds. So it's two and a half times faster. So that's pretty pretty impressive to be able to do all that stuff. And, you know, all this, the stack is complicated and I'm not in that world enough anymore, but... Um, I do see a lot of people blogging a lot to, um, you know, help people that are kind of ramping up like that on this stuff. So it's great that Sergey's sharing that, which is awesome. And then some other people have been blogging as well around Microsoft Teams and SharePoint and the graph. What, what did you find there? Yeah, so I found a Vesa Nopinen, a different Vesa, uh, has a, a blog post. He was doing some work at SPS Helsinki. And this, I found this interesting because this is a very common scenario. So, you know, in Microsoft Teams, you can add a tab and you can choose the SharePoint list or SharePoint doc library or SharePoint page. And it will then render that information inside your Teams tab. And it's special, in air quotes, it's special in that it doesn't show the SharePoint Chrome, right? We we don't need the, the site banner when I'm in a Teams tab. And what uh, this VESA has done is is explore it around and see what's happening. And it gives you the the pattern for the URL that you can use to programmatically provision these tabs in your team. So it's using Microsoft Graph, the, the slash Teams uh, endpoint lets you provision a tab to a team. And so he, the, the, the key nugget here that he's providing, of course, is the, the specially crafted URLs that 
tell SharePoint, give me the data I care about, but keep the, the Chrome to yourself and we'll show it in the Teams app. So this is a... Uh, this is nice. If you get a lot of requests for how do I uh, you know get this list on my team, or you're stamping out different types of teams and you want to make this work, it's nice to put these pieces together. So it's a great little uh, step-by-step uh, from Avesa Napanin, and uh, yeah, be I'm seeing a lot folks. more people pick up Teams um, work recently. Obviously, Microsoft's beating the drum pretty hard on the Teams development side, and um, you know SharePoint's snapping to it with SPFX support inside of the tabs and, and other places. But um, I did see that Wichter Willen, who we had on the show two episodes ago, just shipped a new version of the Yo Team Yeoman Generator um, with support for the new Stardust um, UX components that have, have just been pushed through. So this is like a preview. Uh, it's 2.12.0 dash preview. And it gives you some more things. So if you're doing stuff with Teams, I'd uh, if you haven't listened to Wichter's episode, when the episode 184, um, definitely go two episodes back and listen to that one because um, Wichter talks a lot about like what he sees in Teams world and the value that Teams has in the customer base he's working in as well. And then an old favorite, Tobias Zimmergreen, and only because we've been good friends for a long time and um, I can still remember the first time I met him in 2009 at SharePoint conference in Vegas, um, even the bar actually. Um, And... I'd been following his blog for years at that point, I think at least five years. And he'd saved my career as a consultant out in Perth a bunch of times with some of his code in SharePoint web parts. But um, so it's good to see him still blogging after all this time. And I know he's got a kid too, so I fully respect what it takes to be blogging in your spare time as well as raising a child. Um, And uh, he is talking about Azure Key Vault, which is one of your favorites too. And secrets in average pipelines. You've been doing a ton of work with this too, right? Yes, I haven't done this specific task because, um, well, just because. But but the 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 key thing here that we've talked about Key Vault before and. and Managed identity can work with Key Vault as well, which is nice. But his point here is, I want to do this during yeah, yeah. my pipeline not necessarily at runtime. So that's e- even better. And just the, the, the end up goal here is you have a DevOps uh, task that can uh, up to get data from the key vault. So for example, if you're doing a continuous deployment and you want to get the credentials to the Azure resource group or whatever, boom, there you go. You can put it in key vault. And so you don't have, you end up taking secrets out of your pipeline variables and putting them in a vault where they belong. So Really pretty slick stuff. Again, not not a super complicated uh, task, but he put the pieces together. Yeah, and, and in true Zimmergren style, you know, he has screenshots and all the arrows pointing to where you have to click exactly in the UI and so forth, which will probably be out of date <laughs> within three weeks when the UI changes again. <laughs> I do like his paranoia of showing yeah. all applications you in full Azure.com in the managed apps and blurring the hell out of everything apart from <laughs> the one application line that he has there. But um, yeah, we, we actually use this yeah. in um, our automated builds for Graph Explorer and some of the new stuff we're going to be announcing in Ignite. And so it's been really cool to kind of, you know, further polish all this stuff um, internally, which is neat. Cool. Well, look, um, that's the end of this episode. We have some strong episodes coming up. And so if you have any content you'd like to hear from us, please at mention Paul or I on Twitter, um, at Paul Shifeland or at Jay Thake. 
And um, thanks, Paul. And do you have anything you want to add? Or say, hey, I'll be in Redmond next week, so maybe we catch up. Oh, then we can have a beer for sure. Then <laughs> all right. See you, buddy. Cheers, Paul. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 